and thunder. We're talking Dice Masters, the beauty of the underlying mechanics, the hidden complexities and the strategy, tactics, and decisions of competitive play. If you're just starting the game or have been here since the first set, hopefully you'll find something in this show that'll do you some good. So shake up your bag, reconnoiter your opponent, and get ready to roll. All right, welcome back to Rollin' Thunder. I'm still thankfully striding the earth, and Lucan has returned from his Germany adventure, so it's great to be here. Indeed it is. And how was your time in Berlin? It was great. Can't complain at all. I miss it a little bit, of course, but I'm also very happy to be home and also looking forward to the next chapter of life. So, Yep, it's off to college for you in Minnesota at the beginning of September, so Troy or Andy or any of the folks in or around the Minneapolis-St. Paul area... If you feel like giving a poor college student stranded in Northfield a ride to the shop on game day, I'm sure he'd make it worth your while. Uh, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> that means your pop will provide something that incentivize a, a lift, so to speak. Okay. <laughs> I mean, obviously, if there's public transportation, I'll see if I can use that, but I don't really know what the situation is for public transportation out in Northfield, Minnesota. We'll see, though. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. We should dive right in, as we've got a lot to cover tonight. Tonight on the show, we're honored to bring back a blast from the past, our original guest from the way back, Fado Fado Marager Trenielig, one of the forefathers of the game, a founding member of the reserve pool, one of the world's most renowned tinkerers and brewers. Who can forget your apologies in advance team or your vicious struggle team? A perennial contender and the person to whom Paul Kushner has passed on the symbolic baton as our community's most senior rules expert. I want to welcome to the show... Mr. Patrick Shadowmeld, a.k.a. the nefarious geneticist, Barley. Shadowmeld, welcome back to Rolling Thunder. Hey, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's good to be still striding the earth. I appreciate you coming back on. It's uh, it's been a lengthy good, hiatus. It's, you know, been it's, a it's just hiatus. Hiatus, right? Because yeah, well, all like, the big studios they took hiatuses for COVID, so we're just following suit. Yeah, I mean, my hiatus is what only twice as big as WizKids' hiatus. So. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, tonight we've got a theme. You know, Superman Kryptonite Crisis is releasing in a couple of days, and we've seen WizKids reprinting a bunch of the old abilities. So we were thinking that this gives us the opportunity to discuss. Great Mandela of life, uh, Rohomor Antil. Uh, or more simply put, how to be repurposing old ideas and cards with new texts that we currently have. Indeed. So, who better to talk shop with than the brewer who cooked up some of the most nefariously fascinating Rube Goldberg-type teams of yesteryear? So we're talking about you, Patrick, and I believe sure. you've got two teams queued up for us tonight, right? Or maybe uh, I should I mean, say two pairs of teams. Sure, yeah. I, I mean, I can definitely talk about... Two pairs of teams. There are a few ideas that I have bouncing around, but they might come up in our uh, discussion about cards and how they work. Cool. An old school version and it's rejiggered modern legal facsimile, right? Exactly, exactly. So let's start out talking about one of your old nasty <laughs> burn concepts, which was that old Manicore burn team that you used okay. to run. First of it all, I need to step in here. Okay. 
I may be the person who's played Manticore the most. Okay. It's not my team. Fair enough. Okay, great. It won or at least performed really well at Salt Lake City Comic Con Mm -hmm. back in 2016 or something. And then got inspired by it from there. But I have played it as recently as whatever the last world is. Great. What we'll do is we'll dig that up and throw that in the show notes, a link to that. I think that's still somewhere on the interwebs. But anyway, what was the core idea of this team and and what were the, you know, essential pieces, so to speak? Like most great brewers, I scour the cards for when WizKids makes a typo and then abuse the (laughs) crap out of it. So uh, for those of you who don't know the old pyro, rare pyro says pay two bolts, draw two dice, roll them, keep any bolts that you rolled. Uncommon pyro says pay one bolt, (laughs) draw and roll two (laughs) dice, keep any bolts rolled. Right. Uh, so that on unco- um, Pyro Global creates this infinite loop of just drawing and rolling bolts, ideally forever and ever and ever, on your opponent's turn. One, to annoy the crap out of them, and two, if you have Manticore <laughs> out, to slowly kill them. Right. So that's nasty. So the, the, the part where it happens on the opponent's turn is the nastiest do you, part, I'd say. Do you have that <laughs> card up, Nukin? Can you yeah, can I you do, read yeah. Manticore? Because I... Manticore is, while active, when you roll double bolt on die and do not re-roll the result, deal two damage to a character or player. So the trick is to just start firing away on your opponent's turn. So if you play this team almost inside out, you're basically doing most of the work on your opponent's turn, right? Yeah. In fact, the weakness of the team is that your opponent gets a chance to do something about it. Right. Otherwise, the team is amazingly strong. Because they have to pass priority to you before you can kind of go off infinitely, right? right? And that's what makes the team mentally so brutal is mm-hmm. that you know if I had rolled the dice that I wanted this turn the way I wanted them, I would not have died to Manticore. <laughs> but then when you do die to Manticore, it means your own dice failed you and you just lost. <laughs> and the most brutal part is you finish your passing priority <laughs> and then you're ready to draw four more dice. Right. No, no, no. It's my turn now. I'm, you just went. <laughs> It's my turn. You can't spend five minutes spending bolts and getting me down to one life, and I just got lucky that you rolled four shield agents on a character facing a roll, okay? I got lucky. It's my turn now. That is not fair. Right, and then if I just happen to roll bolts, like, during my roll and re-roll step, you might still just die right then. Yeah. So, the, I mean, I'm just trying to remember, the cards that were on that team were obviously Manicore and then a two-cost bolt. I mean, Lucan just brought up shield agent. That was probably a good one from the day. Yeah, from the original day. Manticore's almost been golden since then. But I think for the day, it was Shield Agent because you wanted to be able to roll Shield Agent to get rid of Hulk without having to damage him to get rid of him. Right, okay. And without having him be there so your opponent can ping him and kill your Manticore. Right. So, yeah. So, that was the big one. Obviously, PXG back in the day because Manticore suffered from not having a good way to get sidekicks out of the way to go off. Right. Like, the real combo to Manticore is have an empty bag with just bolts in it and then go off. Yeah, because then if you roll a couple sidekicks and they roll shields, the, the thing's over, right? Right, exactly. So, uh, it was PXG to get all the sidekicks out of the way, which is... Just perfect. And then both, 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 Chewinga's probably, if we had like the full spectrum of golden things, that's probably what we would use now. Yeah. Uh, oh, Rare Wasp 
back in the day was a good three cost bolt as a like purchase on your way to manticore because if your opponent used pxg against you they were taking damage from the wasp right so she was a good like anti-global counter and then she also had the double generic global to ping your opponent for one so if you did somehow just get a glut of non-bolt non-mask energy you could just use it to ping your opponent in the face okay so we got pyro manticore wasp definitely pxg Potentially, I was thinking that, what's his name? The spot, the one where you roll when you roll, draw another one. Yeah, that could common. be nasty with this team, right? That was nasty even in Golden the first time I rebuilt this team. Right. And he provides such reliability. It made that team go from a crapshoot to, great, I have spot out now, and <laughs> I'm drawing four dice instead of two, and right. there's almost no way I'm never going to do it. So so walk us through, because because it is such an inside-out team, can you walk us through real practically, like maybe the first, like it usually would go off by turn sure. five. Could you walk us through like how you, what your buy order would be and how it would look practically for somebody who's never played a sure. team where you do all this on your opponent's turn? Are you interested in the original purchase order or like the Golden. Let's go. To, let's let's do, start with. Let's um, do the original and then the modern. Well, well we haven't okay. we haven't got to the modern team okay. yet. But let's start with yeah, the original, yeah, and then we can compare one. notes, uh, so to speak. Okay, so like before spot, before Chewinga, by the way, one cost Chewinga, good bolts for this team. Mm-hmm. Before those guys, it was two cost bolts. We'll say say shield agent because he has a little fielding cost. We'll say shield agent and wasp. So like turn one, this was before the first turn rules. Right. So if you don't roll a mask, you can buy two shield agents, but ideally you want to either buy a shield agent and roll two masks or a wasp and a mask. Right. So that you can PXG correctly, right? If you only roll one mask on the first turn, you're fine buying the wasp and just PXGing once and not worrying about, you know, whatever. I think Ring was available back in the day, so you could have fixed a sidekick that you made or some such. Iceman Global was also not terrible on the team, mm. so you could have always paid a bolt to... Make some more bolts. <laughs> like, gotten sidekicks on the field and then saved them up, so it, you don't need to PXG as much every turn. Mm. But so, yeah, first turn, you go on a shield agent. Second turn, you're rolling six dice, but you don't want to wreck your ramp, so you're looking at probably trying to buy a wasp and a shield agent or two shield agents, depending on what you bought on the first turn. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to need at least two bolt characters in circulation, but really you probably want three. Right. But the third one you can always usually buy on your way into the winning turn. And then on turn three is usually when you buy the Manticore because you can do it and maintain PXG ramp because you're going to get one of your bolt characters. That'll give you enough energy, specifically the bolts, to get there. So you're buying Manticore turn three, but you're perfect PXGing, so you're fielding Manticore on turn four. You should have Manticore, three bolt characters, perhaps a Wasp in the field, perhaps not. And then you can usually then buy the third Shield Agent if you need to that turn. And you're just sitting there with... Ideally, your two shield agents on bolt faces in front of you, and then one the one you just bought in the use pile, and you're you're waiting for your turn opponent to pass priority, and then you just win the game. <laughs> right, because you just go off. You just start paying for... Now, just no, just for they... anybody at home who... It always takes one explanation past when they're dead in order for them to understand what just happened, because the dice on your opponent's turn, the dice go straight to the use mm-hmm. pile, so when you spend the bolts... You draw the dice, potentially the dice that you just spent, if you have very little in your bag. You're rolling them, and you have a 33% chance every time you roll one of those dice that you're going to get the double bolt, and you're going to deal the manticore damage. 
And if you just have that happen enough times, and more likely than not with three or four bolt characters in circulation, you're going to get that. So long as you don't roll too many character dice in a row, you're golden. Right. And that's the the danger. The only thing that can go wrong is if you roll two characters, right? Would that potentially well, stop it? If, if, as long as you don't have well, any more it, energy, you know? Right, right, right. Ideally, you should have at least two energy or three energy on the turn you want to go off. So you pay a bolt. It should print you at least a bolt because you're drawing two dice and mm-hmm. each die has a 50% chance of giving you at minimum one bolt. Right. Because you get to keep the single bolt faces. They don't do damage to your opponent, but you get to keep them right. to allow you to try again. So you're constantly pushing to get that that double bolt, but you get to keep rolling constantly until you get there. You mentioned wanting to get the double bolt faces, but the single bolt faces are the ones that allows the team to basically be mathematically infinite. Like every bolt you save is one standard deviation of failures that you can supersede, right? And that's why I was mentioning the Iceman Global is if you had four sidekicks Mm -hmm. in the field, you could use one of those bolts to just get four more in case I miss chances later on. Right. Yeah, no, that's really good. That's really good. And, uh, you know, that, that that's a techno global too, right? So we would do the same right, thing. Right, right, right. Techno is the more modern version. So this gives us this opportunity to talk a couple of things for some of the newer listeners, newer players who are out there. This gives us the opportunity to talk about things like the out of play slash transition zone mm-hmm. and when that exists and when it doesn't. So you, you want to talk about that a little bit and why, for example, why this is has to happen on your opponent's turn as opposed to why couldn't you sure. just do this on your own turn, you know? Yeah, yeah. So when the game first started, um, there was no out of play for most of ABX and for all of Yu-Gi-Oh's plan, not Yu-Gi-Oh's execution. Remember, Yu-Gi-Oh was the first set designed, right? But it was released third. Mm-hmm. So the out of play came in in response to some of the stuff that happened in ABX and to kind of balance the game. And what it is, is when you spend energy, they don't want you to infinite combo with that energy. So they tell you that you can set it aside. So you can't buy a character and then mutation the energy you spent with that character. Like, So if you roll a guy on an energy phase, he's energy for the turn unless you find a way to re-roll him. You can't spend him and then mutation him out, guaranteeing that you get the character you want that turn. You know, that sort of thing. So the out of play is a state. We call it a zone. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a zone. It's not a zone. It used to be the transition zone, and then it was a no, zone. No, no. Transition zone is entirely a fan base made up entire name. Okay. It never was called that. All right. Well, I stand corrected. <laughs> it was your dice transition to out of play on their way to the use pile. So right. it's like normally on your turn, you take the highway to go to the use pile. Except on your turn, you take a detour to the used pile. You're still <laughs> on the way to the used pile. You're just not there yet because the detour takes a little longer. Right. Through the phantom zone, so to speak, right. which we'll get to later. I feel like in, in, in some of the old rule books, they had like, you know how they used to have the tiny little miniature playmats inside the rule books? They had a, a separate area. It's like if you're actually using this this rule book to play the there, game with it, they had like a separate little thing on a different page for out of play. There is a little, it's so unlike three rule books, and I think Paul had something to do with it, but there are like three rule books where they have a dashboarded line that says out of play. But that is not only for these transition mean dice, but it's also for intimidated dice, mm-hmm. imprisoned dice. You know, it's for all the things that go out of play, right? It is now called out of play, but it's never been called transition zone. Yeah, uh, at best, it's been called dice bag. 
Dice bag, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how that was the original one. The, refer- right? the reference is because they used to have an area on the WizKids published mats that said dice bag, and presumably you were supposed to put your dice bag there, but because there wasn't an out of play slash transition area on the mat, people just used dice bag for that. <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly. That is the joke, yeah. So during your opponent's turn, the transitioning is much smaller. You still have a microscopic transition, Mm -hmm. which is when I spend energy, anything that I result from that energy can't affect that energy, right? So if I spend a mask to PXG, I can't PXG the die I spent with PXG. So that's a micro transition zone. Right. But because I'm only technically allowed to do one thing on my opponent's turn before they get priority, Mm -hmm. my dice no longer really transition. They basically go straight to the use pile, except for, again, what you spent to do any given effect. Let me ask you this. So the other question that comes up in these situations all the time is when, Mm -hmm. and I I remember it being a real issue with Parallax when Parallax was still in the game, was like once Mm -hmm. you spend energy on a die, you're no longer allowed to use that die anymore like you couldn't you can use the die you can't re-roll it that's what i meant to try to get a different face right right so once you spend something down to effectively the single energy face maybe you spin it down to something else whatever Mm -hmm. for future dice that may have something other than a single energy right but when you spin it down to its single energy face that single energy actually having talked to paul about this and looking at newer rule books those single energy dice faces mm-hmm. are really just reminders that you have temporary energy. In a die that you can spin the face down and remain as a reminder, you get to keep that energy. But for dice or effects that give you temporary energy that you don't have a physical reminder for in game, mm-hmm. those temporary energy go away when you pass priority. So you want to spend those temporary energy first. first yeah. Unless you want to lose them for some reason, which I guess is conceivable. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. You know? No thief, right? Yeah, exactly. Or or somebody that does damage when, when they, if you've got energy mm-hmm. in your reserve pool. So how does that, say you had, just this practically, say mm-hmm. you rolled two Chewingas and one was a bolt and one was came up double bolt. So you got a little bit lucky. Sure. If you spent that double bolt down to a single bolt to grab two more, could you still, how, how does that affect that die on your opponent's turn? Just in terms of practically. It, in this team, mm-hmm. it doesn't because, again, we have those micro-transition periods right. where we always pass priority. So because this spins down to a single bolt, that reminder we are allowed to keep on our opponent's turn because it's not fake energy. Right. And because we have a die to represent that reminder. So as long as we are spinning down and saving, that's perfectly acceptable. I will say as a strategy for this team, you want to spend the single energies before you break the double energies. Sure. Because you want to get um, that into the reuse pool, use pile anyway, right? So <laughs> right, because you you struggle to draw enough dice mm-hmm. eventually. Like right. if you are on a roll, you are <laughs> not rolling as many dice because <laughs> you've got so many on energy faces. Right. Which reminds me, I didn't think we mentioned it. One of the basic actions for this team is magic missile, so Ooh. that you can find something to spend those bolts on when you have all the bolts and there's nothing left for you to pyro out you ping off their characters right. and then keep going which is another reason why it's so frustrating because they're like i'm gonna pass priority to you and you're like great i'm gonna spend 100 bolts killing your entire board i don't care if you have bard yeah, I'm going to burn you, and then I'm going to blow out your fields, and then I'm going to walk through just to add insult to injury when it's all over. Right, yeah. I'm going to get lethal with Manticore. His attack caps it, too. <laughs> right, right. 
All right. Well, awesome. So that is an excellent re-encapsulation of the original idea with this team is really just to go nuclear on your opponent's turn, turn four, Manticore, you know, Manticore, Pyro, Pyro two, cost or one cost two cost or one cost bolt, yep. possible, you know, enhance it with things Wasp. like Wasp or the spot. There's lots of... Yeah. Oh, and, and Professor X, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Very or, important. But, but that was the thing. Professor X was essential to get all the crap out of your bag or out of your use pile so that it would just be bolts when you needed to draw and roll. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Later iterations, um, PXG rotated. I was still playing Golden, so I could have played PXG, but... I tried a version of the team that had Star Labs and Spot because mm-hmm. he's shield, so Bolt Shield works all right. And I would get the sidekicks out of the way with fielding and prepping them. It worked all right, and Spot made it viable. Got it. However, it made it difficult to bring Magic Missile on that team because Spot has two defense. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. yeah uh, PXG became a requirement to get things out of the out of the team. Okay, so the theme of this episode is reusing old ideas on new things. So you emailed me, must have been a couple months back, saying, hey, I've resurrected the Manicore team with modern stuff. So yeah. h- how did you make that work out of curiosity? Okay, so first of all, the true heart of that team is the ability to draw and roll a die on your opponent's turn. Right. Period, right? Sure, Pyro says, if it's a bolt, I get to keep it or whatever. But if you can find a way to draw and roll dice on your opponent's turn, at global speed, right? At global speed. And not, not with character abilities, not with actions. You don't get to do that on your opponent's turn. Right. So drawing and rolling a die at global speed is where it's at. And with that in mind, there is the uncommon magic from Dark Phoenix. Yep. Yeah, right. Um, so uncommon magic from Dark Phoenix, who has Awaken... Draw and roll a die, which means for one mask, I can spin down some character and spin up another character. Or with Kryptonite Crisis, I hear there's a fist global that's spin magic up, Mm -hmm. right? So for one fist, you could do it. Or all sorts of ways to spin your characters up for globals. And the real kicker was if you have two magics out, you can spin one magic down and one magic up. So it's literally one mask to draw and roll a die. And you create this chain of, well, if I draw and roll a mask, I can just do it again. And then I draw and roll another mask. And then, hey, maybe I'll eventually roll double masks. And then (laughs) I found this magic and I was like, wait, this is pyro global. I mean, I have to put stuff on the board, but modern's a little slower than golden. It, It might be possible. And then I was like, oh, okay. And I'm pretty sure there's some good Manticore-like things still left in the game. And I went and I looked at Turk Barrett and I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, see, there's this card I put on my Manticore team at Worlds. It's Turk Barrett. He's really good. Except Turk wasn't the answer. Because Turk only did it to characters, right? Which is you good. You still put him on uh, there, of course. He's only characters. So the, the Energize does it to characters. It's like a consolation prize. And then the text itself makes it so that every time you spend a mask, you can deal damage to a character. No, no, no. The other Turk. Oh. Yeah, I don't know the other Turk. You're probably right. <laughs> right. So the, the rare Turk is Manticore. Uh, okay. So everybody's like, super rare Turk. Blah, blah, blah. And like, no, that's the Iceman Turk. That's not the magic Turk. Yeah, so his energizes, you may deal one damage to target character die, but his wall active text is when you roll double bolts, so just like Manticore, right. you may deal one damage to target character die or player. Oh, great. Okay. So it's half as good, mm-hmm. but we talked about how infinite is infinite, right? Right. So one is one. Now, against things like the new Mystique Uncommon or Black Widow Agent, who's rotated out, but mm-hmm. things that prevent one damage, yeah. Turk's a waste, right? Right. He doesn't do anything. So I needed something 
that felt stronger, that felt more reasonable. And I was looking at what I could do to like, if I was drawing infinite dice and spending infinite energy, how I could kill my opponent quickly with that. Rare Jubilee. <laughs> Rare Jubilee says, when you spend an X-Men die as energy, deal one damage to your opponent for each energy spent. Hey, guess what? Magic's an X-Men character, so the team's already building itself. Right. If only yeah. there were such a thing as a two-cost mask X-Men character in the game. I mean, if we had that, right. it, it would work yeah. so good, you know? At the time, so previous modern, right, when I when I designed the team, there were six good two-cost X-Mask characters <laughs> right. that were X-Men, right? Like, But I don't want to belittle the two-cost mask characters that aren't X-Men, because infinitely rotating rare Black Widow from IG is also devastatingly strong. Mm -hmm. So she's always in consideration for this team because of her energize effect, yeah. but it doesn't help with the Jubilee win con. So it's something you got to think about, but there are definitely variations on this team. You could do the same infinite energy and do like an Adam Warlock, the super Adam Warlock yeah. and go pure energize. And if you're rolling your dice infinitely on your opponent's turn mm, yeah. for as many energized props as you could possibly <laughs> want, I get ugly that's fast. a thing. Yeah. But yeah, Jubilee ended up being the big one. And that, that allowed me to put in things like the, well, my first iteration was the Psylocke who, her energize was to feel the sidekick that helped thin the sidekicks which we've talked about mm -hmm. i decided to go with a different psylocke for reasons to balance out the team just to give it more teeth in the meta but what really became the thing is what happened if i didn't get masks right mm -hmm. because if i'm rolling x-men characters i can put on x-men that aren't and roll them and because magic doesn't say I have to put the dice back if they're not bolts. The only time the dice goes back is because it's my opponent's turn. If I roll a character face, that immediately goes to the use pile, right? You don't even get to look at it. It's character face goes to the use pile. So when you miss on this one, it's just as bad as when you miss with pyro. But if I land, say, shields, I get to keep those shields. So I needed something to kind of like spend those shields on to get them back in rotation. Mm -hmm. I also wanted a way to thin my bag of sidekicks. Although sidekicks are much less punishing in this because magic can draw a sidekick, roll a sidekick, you get to keep the energy five out of six times, right? Mm -hmm. That's still great. So mm, sinister rare. The <laughs> <laughs> pay two generic, <laughs> feel the sidekick, prep a sidekick. One, it's... Pretty thematic. You've got amazing X-Men characters and in the background is a villain <laughs> helping you manipulate sidekicks and bystanders into the right position. And it's all from the same set and it worked out really great. One thing that you didn't end up getting to though was what die that you were using as a replacement for the Psylocke that fields the sidekick with Energize. Oh, uh, sorry. I chose to instead use the Psylocke that if you have a Wolverine active, mm -hmm. she gains deadly. It is really strong, like that combo, her and the Wolverine with the global that lets you prep a die, mm -hmm. the rare one that says when he spins up target sidekick getting deadly, mm -hmm. those two make a really great combination at like slowing down a master mold mm -hmm. and anything that feels good at slowing down master mold feels good <laughs> right, right? right. And, and what's great is i can block a master mold token with a sidekick spin my wolverine up spin my magic down and then spin my magic back up and spin my wolverine back down but when i spin the magic up wolverine i think that wolverine also says when any of your other characters spins up he spins up right. on the first face yeah, yeah. But that's, that's okay because those are the two lower faces. So unless right. level three, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you can spend one mask 
to spend Wolverine down if he's on level three, three or two, uh, to spend magic up. And then Wolverine will spend himself back up. So for one mask, you get the magic thing and you get a deadly token, yeah. like a deadly sidekick. So the Master Mold tokens attack into you. The real power of Master Mold is, yes, he gets three guys they can attack, but he can't attack into you and whittle down your field. And between Magic, who has a five, seven, eight defense, and I want to have two of them on the board, and deadly sidekicks right. or deadly psylocks like the tokens don't build up anywhere near as fast and so i made those changes to kind of give a master mold counter interesting cool cool you know i don't think we mentioned did, do you have the card in front of you the rare jubilee i don't think we read it just to make sure that people i mean he yeah, he got the text pretty spawn like Did whenever he? you to my understanding of the cards whenever you spend an energy from an x-men die deal you deal damage. one damage to your opponent yep sweet and so even if they get rid of wolverine you can use the wolverine die to pay for the wolverine global to prep a die and ping your opponent for one right so even if they're getting rid of your guys and if they spent the time buying the master mold and building up a field you have already had Jubilee in the field, and every time you spend an X-Men die, you're slowly chipping them yeah. down, right? And at some point, you just have enough that you can either push wide or ping, because you still can spend that energy, because it's also for fielding costs, right? Right. Not just for globals. So when you're fielding your Wolverine, who's a one, two, three fielding cost, or your uh, relatively cheap other characters... There are several other spots that you can put in on the team. Moira or Rogue to get rid of Living the Dream. The Black Widow we mentioned. Mm -hmm. You know, some non-X-Men characters could work. X-Men right now is still a toolbox, even without hope. Yeah. That There's just enough X-Men dice that you can put in. And also any Energize effect or any Awaken effect can be easily spliced onto the team yeah. to counter whatever meta threat. And that's going forward, right? Because there's um, Energize in Supernight Kryptonite Crisis. Uh, and there's a character that has an energize draw and roll a die. Who is it? Um, well, we have Batman who has energize draw and roll two dice. Yeah. Even oh, right. Yeah. And Jonathan Kent too. Uh, and so if you wanted to, you could put that Batman on instead of Mr. Sinister. Mm -hmm. If you were pure mask, right? And then you could thin your sidekicks with the Batman global instead of Sinister. Right. And have the Batman as a late game purchase that you could buy to help you draw and roll more efficiently yeah interesting so. that could be really good it seems like it's a shame for this team in particular that with all these masks kicking around that things like static field aren't in the game anymore but uh, there's still oh, plenty still of got stuff, stuff right and i mean the other thing is you don't actually well oh uh, yeah you do have to use masks are what works definitely best with but because that's how you can keep on using the polymorph global but the other thing is that you know people are now saying without Clayface that that rare Jubilee is fairly irrelevant, right? Because especially if your opponents also bring Clayface, I would say that that is like six times more energy on most teams that you're now having available to you around six times, maybe even eight times, depending on how optimistic you are, more mm -hmm. energy that's available to you uh, than if you had no Clayface to spend with X-Men dice. But with this team, like you probably wouldn't need Clayface anyways. You definitely wouldn't need it. I mean, it helps, I, I will right? say, having played this team, having played this team, double Clayface means I won on turn four. Right. But <laughs> w without it, it's still fast. And what's great about this team is you're never buying anything more than a four cost. Yeah, which is really so nice. So it's easy to splice in that sinister global when you need to. We've talked about your bio order with the old Manicore team. What, what's the buy order on this one? If, if you were, if uh, so everything works. again, first player rule means I'm not, definitely not buying a magic turn one mm -hmm. unless I'm going second. 
if I can get a magic, because the Wolverine Global's on here, buying a magic and then a Jubilee is a good going second purchase order. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, buying a Psylocke or rolling a sidekick and Mr. Sinister globaling on the first turn <laughs> seems pretty good. And by first turn, I mean opponent's first turn, right? So you get two sidekicks and one prepped so that on turn three, you're five, and then you just have one sidekick and then use. Your priorities are thinning your bag and buying your five, six characters or whatever, but they're all X-Men, they're all cheap. So you can splice them in and thin your bag at the same time. And ideally, you'll be buying a character and rolling it the next turn by turn three, right? right. Uh, you, you should be thin. Uh, don't be afraid to take a turn where you spend all four of your dice that turn, literally just sensor yeah. if you can. You know, if you roll zero masks, it's like, well, I will buy a two-cost basic action or something. I will do something with two energy so that I can sinister ramp and just do that on the first turn. Um, And just thin your bag and then you'll have enough energy to purchase. Don't be afraid to buy Wolverine. Like we talked about, he's great defensive character. He's also a big giant beat stick. So if you (laughs) clear their field with your tiny, deadly sidekicks, you can smack them for eight, right? (laughs) Because you can spin him up, right? Your team is there to spin him up. And he spins up so easily anyway. So there you are. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Question for you. This has come up in our local scene a couple of times now, and maybe you can answer it as sort of the rules guru, especially. With Turk, this has come up, and I guess it would come up also with this rare Jubilee. When you is... When does it count? Like, Luke, and you've got you're, you're you're better at articulating this, so maybe you should ask this question. With someone like Jubilee or like Turk, the, it says when you spend the energy, right? Mm-hmm. So, and with like previous things like Tabaxi Rogue, for instance, it wouldn't be you would be dealing damage if they draw three dice out of that specific window when it's okay. They'd be taking three damage for three dice that they drew at the same time. The same right. would the same apply for someone like Turk or Jubilee, where say you spent. If you had Turk in the field and Jubilee, and you spent two mask energy from Psylocke to deal two damage to your opponent and two damage to one of their characters, would that be the correct way of interpreting that? Because you're you're spending two and it's like the same as Tabaxi, or is it? Would it only be one because it's you're spending two energy on one global and that's happening simultaneously? I guess we're talking about the sinister global in particular, where it's yeah. co- the cost is two energy. Is it? Would it right. be two damage or only one? So it depends on the interactions. Mm-hmm. And I'm being wordy on this because WizKids obviously didn't word all of the cards the same. Right. If it says when you spend this die, okay. it doesn't matter how much of that die you spend. It only counts when the die goes to used. Okay. Right? Right. Now, if you spend that die on two different things, as long as one of them triggers the event, right. then it doesn't matter how you divide the energy, blah, 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 blah. In this example, I think I'm talking about bishop. There's, I think there's a bishop that when you spend this die... Prep it, right? Right. Yeah, that's the uncommon. If you spend this die doing this, prep it, right? And then there's if you spend energy from this die or energy from this type of die, so Jubilee and Turk, the question becomes when you're looking at the die, how many energy units are you spending Mm -hmm. and what you're spending them as, right? So when I spend a question mark, as a mask, right? Say the global is pay a mask, right? So if I spend the question mark as a mask, that counts as me spending a mask because of the way question marks work. However, if I'm spending a question mark to pay for the sinister global, I'm spending it as a generic, right? Okay. Because that's how the question works. So let's let's get the question mark issue out of the way here. Interesting. Okay, cool. And then it's when you spend a face, 
you're spending each of those faces individually in the same way that when you deal damage to something, you're dealing damage as a clump, yes, but each individual point triggers its own separate effects. So you can prevent one point at a time. Right. Right. But but at the same time with a die like Green Goliath, for example, if you dealt three damage to it at once, it would not do six damage to all opposing character dice. It would deal two. Correct. Uh, so Right. So my example is actually probably not the cleanest. Damage is probably the bad example here. But each instance but, but of, like, of one like point of damage tabaxi, still each one. The tabaxi it. rogue would be like a good. Right. Uh, all right. Like it's tabaxi rogue is a good example. The instant war is a good example. Fielding multiple sidekicks simultaneously. Mm-hmm. You do it for each sidekick. Right. Right. So energy isn't clumped together in the same way that damage is against Hulk. Right. So you may be spending those energy from the same die, but you could just as easily spend one from this die and one from that die, assuming you had two, right? Right. One from this die and one from that die. Energy is spent individually. Okay, interesting. So unless it says it has to be one die used, it can count individually is the bottom line here, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Good rule of thumb. Now, that is my interpretation. Mm -hmm. There's not hard, fast literature on it but everything in the game except for damage which occurs simultaneously right because spending doesn't occur whatever like it's not declared as simultaneously anywhere else it's not as hard fast called out simultaneously as anywhere so really practically here just say you had that jubilee in the field and you had a two cost mask x-men in your reserve pool Mm -hmm. that's all you had and she and that Die was on double energy face, double mask sure. energy face. And we were playing with this new uh, Batman Global, which is a double mask to make it easy, yeah. right? right? If you yeah, spent yeah. both of those masks to activate that one global, it would be two damage for Jubilee, correct? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Got it. That's just one um, that's I am spending two masks. I'm doomed. Even though even though masks. it's one global, because there's been some argument about this, and I just wanted to get your thought on what you know, I can see both ways, but I dig what you're screaming. It, it, <laughs> so if it said, if you use any X-Men energy to activate a global, or if you use any X-Men energy to pay a fielding cost, deal one damage. That is different than when you spend an energy. Right. And I'm pretty sure hers says A-N yeah. space energy. Definitely Turk says that. I'm, I'm not sure about Jubilee, but for sure Turk says um, that. Yeah. But right. So it, it's always the difference of singular versus plural. Mm-hmm. And if it checks for a singular instance, you count every one of those instances. Got it. As opposed to if it checks for clumps, right? Okay, cool. Uh, it, it, and I, I guess the better the better thing is, is if you're tracking energy, you do it per energy. If you're tracking global usage, you do it per global usage. Got it. Right. That makes sense. That's really cool. Okay, thank you for it. Sorry for that little sidetrack, but that was one of those things that just was like, hmm, this may be a good opportunity well, to talk we'll about that. We'll clean that up in post because, like, you, 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 first thing you said is like, Luke, can you explain this? You'll just say it super articulately, and then like, I went on some ten minute rambling things. Like, so if you set like the energy, and that would do two, but hurt, and then like, you know, we have the. Well, it's we'll a com- clean it up. It's It'll a complex idea that I'm glad we, we we took a detour on. All right, so that's the the new version of the of the Manticore team, which is really really cool, and it's a great example of like how we can take these old abilities that are once again coming into our lives and put them to use in a new way, you know? And hey, if you want me to name it, 
I just had a brainstorm. Go for it. Probably because I've been reading like issue 50 through 52 of New Mutants this week. Uh-huh. The team is now called Limbo because that's where your opponent goes during when they pass priority. <laughs> right. That's that's where magic teleports you to, right? Yep. Magic teleports you to Limbo and then you have to wait till she gets to where she needs to go before you can do anything. I recommend anybody who hasn't tried these teams play it because it gives you a good feeling for just how the transition zone or the out-of-play area works, how passing priority works, how just, you know, it's interesting because sometimes you can get lucky and go the whole way, just go 20 to zero. Sometimes you run out of steam in this thing, but mm, it, it's much more lethal than it than it Sounds. like when you sit down and cross the table from it the first time, you don't realize how fast it Yeah, goes. how quick the ignition happens, that, you know. That said, I yeah. will recommend if you see yourself going across from it, if you think there's any chance that you have the beat down, go for it. Because <laughs> I'm not saying this because I think that's necessarily like your highest percentage win rate. I'm saying that's your highest percentage fun rate. Because if you die, you're going to die quickly. And if you don't die quickly, you're going to be wishing that you did. So I, I completely get you on the, the beat down. I will say magic is a one seven mm. one eight but you know yep. you're gonna keep her on level two most of the time. So one seven butts are hard to beat down. However, if you really know that this is becoming a prevalent problem in your area, I have two card recommendations. Well, three card recommendations mm. for you. Rare Pip the Troll, Uncommon Jean Grey, Rare Jean Grey. Yeah, because they just stop all those globals. What about the yep. new uh, Lalandra? Would she? You would not want to see that either, right? Uh, Maybe yeah. not as badly. I might, depending on what I have in circulation, like what I can do. Mm-hmm. I don't think Lalandra's stats are all that so big. Three, and three, so three, five. Four, six, I think. Something like that, yeah. Ooh, okay. Bigger than That's you think. big enough. Yeah. I was gonna say I could take some life. If I was if I was gonna get lethal, I could yeah. take some life to kill it. Another option we don't have a force block anymore, right? Another no. option is just bring some or uh is to use their force attack against them. Yeah. Uh, but they might not have one if they're playing Lalandra. But uh, you know, creating deadly sidekicks and using your opponent's force attack can be good. Do we know if we have a bizarro global anymore? No, no, sadly. Unfortunately. I was looking at this team and force attack globals are actually a bane of this team now, mm. which is probably why it's going to not be meta anytime soon. Right. Because force attack is everywhere. the answer to everything. But also, um, if, if it's the answer to everything, how do you, well, aside from the rare Angela, how can you still have a team if you... Uh, yeah, uh, rare Angela. Absolutely. <laughs> but aside from rare Angela. <laughs> oh, no. Um, there's a... Yeah, there's that... Well, there's the two-cost There's, a, there's a blink that gives X-Men infiltrate if you have three of three them of out them. there. Yeah, it's the blink that gives X-Men infiltrate. Hey, guess what energy blink is? Yeah, mask. mask. And she's cheap, too. She thinks she's a three-cost, right? No, she's, she's a four-cost. Uh, five-cost? Mm, she's a four-cost, I'm pretty sure. But she has a bad fielding cost. And Angela has, I think, zero one one zero one one is it? One 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 or zero one one. One of the two. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, oh, it's it's when Blink attacks with at least two other X Men character types. She is a four cost. She's a zero one one fielding cost, which is perfectly fine. She's got Bard stats, and when she attacks with at least two other X Men characters, each of your X Men characters in the field zone gains infiltrate. So, that's so you can attack with her and two magics, or bring the radicalization global, mm-hmm. which is. Hey, an excuse to spend X-Men energy. You know, put a shield character on your team. Speaking of which, which, which what basic actions are, would you be running with this team? A radicalization? Anything else? Uh, the one that lets you spin? Yes, yes. Mutation. <laughs> yeah, mutation. For sure. Okay. Um, yes, the, those are the two. Those are the two. Well, that, those work pretty good. 
Okay, so so you just mentioned Bard. We've got a new card. We got a new old card coming back, and fortunately, it's not four cost and super cheap to field. But we're talking about that new Flash and Superman Kryptonite Crisis. And you had mentioned that you were were cooking something up that was a new incarnation of Bard. Yeah, I don't have anything finished yet. Yeah, but I was doing some brainstorming on that team, and old Bard was good because. You could reliably purchase it in your regular purchase order and then just buy as many control pieces as you wanted along the way. Yeah. New Bard is expensive as crap. Yeah. Excuse my language. But <laughs> in every way. He's a seven cost. <laughs> he costs five to field in total. <laughs> yeah. He's a seven cost with a TFC of five. So maybe you don't buy all the control pieces along the way. Mm -hmm. Maybe you buy as many economy pieces as you can. Right. Right? And you use the economy pieces to help you get to him, and you use those economy pieces as payoff, right? So do economy through characters instead of economy through globals or economy through actions. Mm -hmm. Don't we have a Fist Swarm character? Mm, No, I think Poxwalker was the last... Because we don't, there's, oh, yeah. there's no yeah, swarm currently, but there's going yeah, to be Parademon in the I next mean, we, set. We have the beast that kind of ramps, but it's not swarm. Well, I mean, like, yeah, I haven't put a ton of thought into this, admittedly. But, I mean, for me, when I'm just thinking of this, what's, like, the number one problem that I'm thinking of? If you want to get something that's expensive cheap, you probably want to use Dark Phoenix. And the way that you make Flash slash Bardo Wing Condition is just by having a lot of people in the field. Right. And to use Dark Phoenix, you have to lose those. So my first thought was, well, this team will be relevant eventually, but not until we get something back in the game that's sort of along the lines of Alfred or Hush that, that brings itself back so that you can use that global without totaling your field presence. But, I mean, one thing that I was thinking earlier, I don't know how meta this would be, but that super rare Corsair, that if you KO four things in one turn, he comes straight into your prep area, he has deadly, all right stats, you know, that's yeah, it's not bad. Um, it, um, it does give you something for all those dice you just lost. I, I really love that Corsair, the fact that he has deadly against Master Mold and enough stats to maybe even survive a hit from Master Mold. Yeah. But... I think what would work better is I just I, I asked if we had any fist swarms and I just realized when you're buying a seven cost character, you don't need to have the requisite energy because you're probably already rolling something that has that energy. Why not just Kang Swarm? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right? Kang Swarm into Bard means you're buying the characters anyway. Kangs are big enough to block master molds because they're yeah. freaking ridiculously got big. huge attacks so, so you too. think that, that Kang would be the right choice even though we don't have Asuka anymore? Yeah, because you're buying for the point of ramp. You're you're buying a win condition piece. Any character you buy when you're playing a bard team is a piece of your win condition. Yeah. So the the, the problem with Swarm is or, or even Rush, actually. Rush could be extraordinarily good with Bard. The problem with both of those is that you have to buy characters in order to buy more characters. Right. And that you can't but, take advantage of those texts unless they're not in the field. R- right. So you, you're buying characters that have no abilities in order to get more characters that likely have no abilities. <laughs> right. Right? So how do you win? How do you give them the abilities that will allow you to win? Well, if I'm buying characters so that I have enough characters that I can buy this one character, that one character makes all my other characters 10-10s. Right. 
and then you got to use them as battering rams to clear the field. Right, and then it's like, I don't care what you put in the field. (laughs) Now, you would maybe want to put in some removal pieces because Mm -hmm. while you're working your way up to a seven cost, your opponent's going to be like, Typhoid Mary? (laughs) Right. Drax? (laughs) Anything to keep that thing out of the field, please? (laughs) Anything so I don't die? So, yeah, but... I think the solution to this part is maybe some control pieces, maybe your own Typhoid Mary, maybe your own Drax, right? Anything you put on to help you win at some point is great. But I think you just, you find what your ramp engine is. I definitely don't know what the right one is yet. But you find what your ramp engine is, you put that out there, and then you just buy the bard when you can. And once it's in circulation, every turn is a threat. Yeah. Well, another thing about Bard slash Flash, which is important to keep in mind, is you don't necessarily need a board clear. Because every time you attack, everything you have is probably coming back. Because they won't be very well able to let them through. And they're going to have to block. And it's unlikely that the things that they have to block are going to have higher attack or defense than even your sidekicks. So right. it's, you can just attack every turn, and eventually they're not going to roll everything back. They're going to take, like, two sidekicks who are at 10-10, and the game is over. So exactly. it's, you can save yourself a spot like that on your team. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are going to be bringing Dark Phoenix and that Sinister Global, and, you know, that can really help you get to a 7 cost, you know, even sure. much faster than you might anticipate, and refill your field, by the way, to help you with that bard-like effect. So Exactly. <laughs> I will say one thing that you could use that might be a cool kind of cheap synergy is the two cost Psylocke that gives target character Energize, or not Energize, Overcrush, yeah. She can give herself Overcrush, and if Bard's on the field, (sighs) now she's an eight attack with Overcrush. Like, it doesn't matter who you give it to, but she can do it to herself, right? Like, and she's cheap, you, almost no fielding cost, easy to Dark Phoenix back up. I was just thinking back to some of the old Bard teams and, some of the staple pieces on there, all of the dwarf wizards. and I mean, But Mary day, Rain was so good yeah, on that team, uh, too, in terms of just, like, flying somebody in to increase your field size, you know, you know stuff like that. That, that was that back was, when we had four dice to draw. That was the, the earlier turn, version. Like, yeah, that was Bard Blitz, yeah. which was pre-first turn rules, mm. and then after that was Bard Buzzsaw, yeah. which is Bard with a whole bunch of control pieces, including Elf Thief and Oracle. And some Fabricate. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was, like, yeah, that was like uh, out of the top eight teams, at the Worlds that year. I think like six of them or something were just barred plus all the control and then a little more for good measure, you know? Actually, as a member of that top eight... You didn't play that. You were the vicious struggle on that team, right? I was was the vicious struggle in the top eight. There there was this triangle of vicious struggle beats Bard, Bard beats Ring Mask, Ring Mask beats the crap out of vicious struggle. And it was, well, how do you balance this triangle... And it became, well, easy. You put a ring on your bard team, right. <laughs> and then you win the game. Right. Right? Like, that's that's how I lost. So. Well, I said six of eight. I was just spitballing. Actually, I think I technically got it wrong. Guillermo was running Mask Ring the day before, and he didn't win the qualifier. He, like, top something to the qualifier, but he didn't win. But he did get a chance to beat me at the very end of the top qualifiers, and he, he did it pretty handedly. But he, I guess he was having a bad time with some of the other teams, and he went to go change his team for Worlds, and he... I said it wrong earlier. You don't take your bard team and you put a ring on it. You take your ring team... Put a bard on it. And you put a bard on yeah. it. Yeah. And then it's got all the control that the ring team has, plus a bard as your win condition, yeah. instead of lantern ring. 
and it's just as strong and has enough control to stop vicious struggle in his tracks. Yeah, and this is like, I don't know if I've ever actually told this story on the podcast, but I think now might be the time because God knows my dad has heard it enough. But I used to love playing Falcon. That was my, my go-to thing. This is, I think, my first year that I actually went to Nat Slash Worlds at Origins. And I was running Falcon and Bard. I was, you know, loving it. I was like, yeah, this is so good, so consistent. I had Parallax on there because I used to love that thing. In retrospect, I think maybe it wasn't quite as good as I thought it was just because you end up losing everything to mm-hmm. maybe sometimes you just have to learn to make it work with what you got, right? But back then I was in love with it. And this is what changed my ways. No more Falcon, no more Parallax because I was up against Guillermo. It was like the fourth round of Swiss or something. And I, I rolled Falcon, single fist. Rerolled Falcon, double fist. I just need Falcon and the game's over. There's nothing he can do. I spend seven energy parallaxing Falcon. Fist, 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 fist. I lose. And I'm like, well, darn it. I would have beat the world champion just then. Or the world champion in one day just then. And, you know, that was my right. first Worlds. And it was like, that was prestige. Welcome you know? to Parallax, yeah. But that was Parallax. And then I, then, then I converted to take what you got and work with it. <laughs> you know, don't... The number of times I see my opponents re-roll three sidekicks and I'm like, mm. what you doing, mate? That's like the best roll ever. <laughs> I roll three sidekicks, I keep it every time. Someone up there is trying to tell you something when you do that on turn one. You know, right. take, take the sidekicks, just do it. All right, well, Patrick, while we have you here, you mind if we can ask sure. you a couple of questions? Just like I said, we, we've got Superman Kryptonite Crisis coming out a couple of days from now. And, you know, while we have you here, it would be great to get your thoughts on some of the questions that are sure to come up. Hopefully, Yeah, absolutely. Soon. Anything we don't answer here, I highly recommend go to the Discord, ask in the rules questions. We have a friend of ours, Archivist, right. who sometimes whispers into the ear of God and sometimes gets a reply. So if I'm not there to answer your question, or even if he disagrees with me, I highly recommend asking in the Discord. Yeah. Because somehow, some way, we might get an answer. Or at least more pitchforks. And maybe even this uh, podcast will shake the hives enough, so to speak, that the bees yeah. will get busy and give us answers shortly, uh, one way or the other. Okay, great. Well, the first question I have was, one of the characters that piqued my interest when I first saw it spoiled was the Uncommon Dr. Fate, who sure. reads, Winfield did place target character die on Dr. Fate's card, and prep mm-hmm. any dice you've placed on Dr. Fate's card in a previous turn. If Dr. Fate is KO'd or that die's owner takes damage, prep all dice on Dr. Fate's card. So when I first read this, my thought was like, okay, prep, where's it going to prep? I thought, this sounds sort of familiar to an old card. And I remember yeah. the old Phantom Zone basic oh, action. No. Am I making... Think older than that. Think older, Think than, older that. than that. Yeah, this is imprisoned. Imprisoned, yeah. But this is the imprisoned mechanic, balanced and clearly targeting. <laughs> okay. But like Phantom Zone used to read, take any character in the field and place it on this card and move any sure. dice you've placed on to this card on a previous turn into its owner's prep area. You know, right. If this effect is canceled or that die's owner takes damage, return that die to its owner's prep area. So this whole stuff about its owners is no longer on this mm-hmm. Dr. Fate. I'm assuming Dr. Fate is sort of this on legs. But is it fair to say that the dice that go onto his cards will go back to the owner's prep area? And it's not like you can steal their dice and then put them in your prep area, correct? Right. I'm pretty sure there's a general rule, I can't give you the citation at the moment, mm-hmm. that you cannot gain control of your opponent's dice outside of a play area okay great so you can have them in the field you can have them in the attack zone 
There's some gray area on whether you can have them in the reserve pool on a rolled state, mm. but you basically can't have your opponent's dice unrolled. Okay, great. So if you need to find a clear spot where you're pretty sure the rules back you up on this, if the die is rolled, you can do stuff to it as if it was yours. If it is unrolled, it needs to go back to your opponent's zone of whatever zone it's supposed to be in. Got it. Okay, excellent. Thank you. And just just for clarification, there's also a Superman. There's a, I think it's the... Um, yeah, he's uh, Superman Phantom Zone. Yeah, so Phantom Zone. <laughs> As if we needed... So if I wasn't clear before, yeah. So Superman Phantom right. Zone also has that same ability. Uh, he's a yep. one cost, one more. But So while we're on this, as they say in Irish, Della and Scale, on this idea of rolled versus unrolled dice, this is something mm-hmm. that other people also get kind of lost on it. it took me a couple times to like shake my head and wrap my head around this idea we have these two terms for dice we have or more than two terms but in, in this particular case we're talking about character dice and action dice and everywhere outside of an unrolled state they are those type of dice right but once they're Correct. rolled they're mm-hmm. either character dice or energy dice or action dice. Is that fair to say? And like I noticed... Uh, assuming we're not talking about sidekicks? We're not talking yes. about sidekicks. We're talking about action dice or character dice that we've purchased, right? Correct. So, so energy face is in the rules by not being in the rules, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It's never explicitly stated. It's just kind of referenced sideways in all of our rules documents that energy die is a type of die. And I've been having conversations with people about it. I think that the easiest way to kind of clean it up is if you are talking about a rolled die, try not to talk about it as anything other than its face. Okay. So don't call it a character die. Call it a character face. Don't call it an action die. Call it an action phase or an energy face. Then the die never has to change its type based on what it's rolled. Right. You're just talking about what's showing, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can think about it that way and kind of read card text as if it were that way, then you're, when you're talking about a rolled die, just assume that character die means on a character face. An energy die means on an energy face. And how about action die? What about action? Same thing. Action die is an action die on the action face and then energy die on the energy face. Okay, let me give you a couple of examples that have come up recently that I think make sense that, you know, when we first encounter them, we were like, hmm, that's new. We're playing, maybe we've been playing this wrong for a while, you know? Like, for example, the thing that really first made me start re-examining this idea was lab test basic action recently that came out uh-huh. with dark phoenix what was lab test it was said like you could uh, you, something to the fact you can re-roll you a, may send this die to your yeah. use pile to re-roll one of the action dice in your reserve pool i think it was one of, i think it just said one of the dice or character dice or something it was yeah it was it, it was exactly the problem that you're talking about with using the term dice instead of die showing face or face Right, so if it came up as an energy, you couldn't re-roll it, correct? Right? Mm-hmm. Because it's right. not that thing, right? So, uh, again, as a rule of thumb, if it's talking about a rolled die, replace the word die with face, and that should solve all your problems. Okay, on lab tests, I have the text here specifically now. Continuous, you may send this die to your use pile to re-roll one of the character dice in your reserve pool. So, character faces in your So, you would have to have rolled characters on them. So, right. it could be useful for perhaps energize. if you wanted to do energize yeah. or something. But if you were trying Correct. to get yeah, that character, I, it doesn't help you if it rolled energy, right? Right. Or if I roll two level three magics and I want one of them to be a different level. Right. Or energy. I don't care. Sure. Just 
not level three. Okay, so let me give you an example for, for this particular, we're talking Superman Kryptonite Crisis. We've got Wonder Woman, daughter of... Hippolyta. Hippolyta, thank you. When feel yep. that you may reroll one of your character dice in the field zone or reserve pool. So in that case, you would only be able to reroll one that... If it was in the reserve pool on an energy face, you couldn't reroll that one, is what I maybe I should say more correctly. Yes. Again, strictly rule of thumb, WizKids can always errata a card to mean something other than that. Right. But... From what it appears, yes, you only roll dice on character faces. So the the question then that would follow is if if there was a card that did have text that allowed you to re-roll a die on any face in the reserve pool, it would not specify character, action, or energy die. It would just say re-roll a die in your reserve pool. Well, there is one. There's one like a storm that says re-roll a character die on any face. Or on something. any face. Well, there's also the storm that says re-roll an action die. Um, on any face? My, my favorite little baby storm. Yeah. Yes. Does she say on any face? And That's a good question. Let me look. Because in that case, she wouldn't allow you to re-roll ones on energy, right? She wouldn't give you another shot at it. When right. fielded, if you have an action die in your reserve pool on an action or energy face, okay. re-roll target active opposing character die. So she allows you to do um, that. And then the other one, the two cost allows you to re-roll it, uh, is worded the same exact way. Okay. So they're very clear there. So that's clear. That allows you to do everything. That's great. Okay. So when in doubt, if they don't have clarifying text, just replace the word die with face. Well, it's interesting because now I'm thinking we we were misplaying the Acerarac Global for a long time then because the Acerarac Global was once per turn re-roll target action die in your reserve pool or field zone. And we were using Um, that to re-roll energy on action. We would clay face in an action die on energy and then we would Acerac. And that shouldn't be legal, uh, right? Technically, different times. The situation has changed. (laughs) It was legal then. It wouldn't be legal now. We're understanding the world has improved right maybe yeah well uh, to be fair it is still relevant for golden yeah right sure it's worth pointing out that hey that die shouldn't work the way we think it does per modern terminology right right? so that's interesting okay perfect okay let me ask you this question you were one of the best explainers of the old school of thumb for some of the characters like i was thinking black adam for example who had to be alive and watching for his ability to trigger when things happen, right? I believe you mean Black Manta. Black Manta, sorry, yes. Yes, Black yep. Manta. So the Legion of Doom Legion, the word Black. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, there's, there's like four of them or something. Yeah? You could tell who wasn't a DC fan here, but... <laughs> Don't worry, I'm right there with you. So the question comes up with this rare Batman from this new Superman Kryptonite crisis coming up. Right. Uh, Legend of the Dark Knight. While Batman is active, when one of your character dice is KO'd, deal one damage to target player and one damage to target character die. So if they have the ability to KO him, will he trigger himself or would he have to be active? in this? Let game? me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. When is the KO complete? Well, I would refer to the Q, but that's only situational. I'd say he would see it and then be KO'd. No, but when is the KO complete? After he's taken all the damage, right? So he's taken the well, damage. Well, what if you get... Well, sorry, let's not do a damage effect. Okay. Let's do a target to KO target character. Okay, right. So um, so when you say, when is the KO complete, are you, are you after saying that, when that do you get to use Well, that, that effect ability? happens before he gets... You have to res- completely resolve that effect. It's done. But theoretically, would Batman's ability still be in the queue at that time? So let's let's say we're, we're KOing Batman, right? Right. Okay. Somebody uses truce, for example, or something. I believe, I believe you would agree with me that Batman is KO'd when you put him in the prep area. Right. I'd say okay. he's definitely KO'd at that point, but if there's something that right. could come in between the text... Is he KO'd Is he KO'd while still in the field? No. So he is 
not KO'd if he's still in the field. He is KO'd if he's in the prep area. Right. Question, is he active when he's in the prep area? No. Is he active when he's still in the field? Yes. Is he KO'd when he's still in the field? Well, um, <laughs> is he taking that, that trip question. through? Is he taking that trip through that, limbo? That would know. be my question, right? Because if it, I mean, this is like totally speculative, but there is a place on the playmat that does say KO and is bordered separately from the prep area. <laughs> and also, is there like a state of being where you aren't fully KO'd, but more like marked for death? So, okay, okay, let's talk about the KO zone. If you want to create imaginary zones, when he's in the KO zone, is he in the field? No, 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 definitely no. not. But is he in the prep area? Right. Is he like in between? So, if he's not in the field, he's not active. That's true. Yeah, that's true. His ability says wall active. Right. His ability can't work if he's not active. Okay. That's that's why I asked this question because I'm, I'm trying yep. to get my head around like... And I'm trying to like Walk literally draw a line on your play mat right. so that you can answer all of these questions in the future. Now, if it said when KO'd, mm -hmm. it happens even if he crosses the line. But because it says wall active, it doesn't happen if he crosses the line. Okay, let me, let me, let me throw a different character at you here just to help sure. me wrap my puny brain around this. If we had Lalandra, the super rare Lalandra we were talking about before, mm -hmm. right? And when an action's used, if another player uses an action, she you lose two life or or a global, right? So if somebody do, again does the same thing. You only got they truce, and you've only got Lalandra. You've got a KO Lalandra, but truce is used. She sees sure. truce being used. When is the timing of that? Is she, the other player going to take two damage, even though Andres KO'd? How does how, what's the difference there? She's a well active too, let's, right? Let's not do truce. Okay, let's do a continuous action because it helps us look at lines. Okay, great. When is the continuous action used? When you put it in the field. When you put it in the field. Right. So that would be definitely when I field a character. When is a character fielded? Once it has reached the field zone. After it's in the field, right? Yeah. I have to put the die in the field before I can do the win fielded effect. Right. Yeah. So I have to put the used action into its zone before I can resolve its effect. Right. So the action is used before its effect resolves. Okay, got it. Okay, that makes right? sense. Right, so I put the character in the field, then I get the wind fielded effect. I put the used die in the used pile, yep. or transition zone, then I get the use the action die's ability. Cool, yeah. Right? Yep. I see the difference so between these two, yeah. Very it clear. will yep. be used before Lulandra goes off. Right. And also, I'm not positive. Is Lulandra say you have to pay the energy before you can use it? You must pay two life to use a... Right. To, so yeah. payments happen before the use. Right. It's true, too. So no matter what, she would happen before. I, I only bring this up because she's Jinzo, and Jinzo always worked before, whereas things like Heenan, right? Mm -hmm. Heenan... You paid, you lost the life after you blocked, not right. lose the life in order to block. Right? right. So there's a nuance there that if it's a payment ahead of time, you can avoid doing it by choosing not to do it. So you can't force your opponent to take damage by making them use an action die. Right. There are some effects that can make your opponent use action dice. So you can't make them take damage from Lalandra. Right. All right. I had a quick question on the common Starro because I think we're going to see a lot of him coming up. He says, okay. if you roll Starro at level three, re-roll Starro. When Starro attacks, you may take control of up to two sidekicks your opponent controls. So looking at it, when you roll Starro at level three and wondering about yep. all these abilities that sometimes they're like roll something from the use pile and it's kind of like a yes-no check versus an actual mm -hmm. level three thing. And then there's some other abilities like, for example, Jonathan Kent legacy hero he says when fielded roll a character die from your use pile if it shows a character face field it for free 
otherwise added to your reserve pool. Let's say, for argument's sake, you choose Starro. You feel sure. Jonathan Kent. You choose Starro. Starro rolls level three. Do you get to do Jonathan's ability, or do you then have to follow Starro's ability first? You must complete the ability that already started mm-hmm. before you can do other abilities. So you so Starro could come out level three theoretically that way, or would it be stopped if he rolled level um, three? So you did Jonathan, you rolled level three Starro, finished Jonathan's ability. Do you just what, field what's start? Jonathan's ability say? When fielded, roll a character die from your use pile. If it shows a uh-huh. character face, field it for free. Otherwise, add it to your reserve pool. Sure, you would field it at level three. However, Starro would still then be on the queue and have you re-roll it. And have him re-roll it. And then if it re-rolled to level three, it'd be level three, it'd be in the field, but you would then have to re-roll it. Again. And then it would be level three and still in the field, and you would have to re-roll it until you got a level one or level two or an energy phase. Question about this. Starro is an infinite loop. Yeah. Okay, so you can only reach that level three if you have mutation or something. Correct. Right. And Only if you have a way to spin him up. Going back to Starro, one thing that might confuse folks. The roll, roll and re-roll step is one phase. You don't re-roll Starro until the end of that phase. If he's on level three after the re-roll, then you roll Starro. If you get level three, you re-roll again and again and again and again <laughs> until you get not level three. Got it. Got it. Okay, so one other question I have for you. Rare Bizarro now. He's kind of worded interestingly here. Where is he here? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. he is. Once per turn, you may add a Bizarro die from this card to your bag. If you do, your opponent takes one of their unpurchased dice and adds it to their use pile. Question here is, can you add before your clear and draw? Is that legal? It seems funky to me, but is it within the scope of the rules? What, What do you think? There are two ways to look at this. One... It doesn't say you can. Right. And two, if you read the rule book carefully, the clear and draw, the roll and re-roll, all clearly state what you can do in those, and oh, sorry, what you must do in those orders. Mm-hmm. And it isn't until the main step that it is a window for you to begin making choices. choices. Yeah, that's what feels weird to me. That's that's exactly it, right. Like the right. only choice you make before that is whether or not you want to re-roll, and that barely counts as a choice because if that choice is not made, you lose the window of choice, right? So it- Right, and, and the roll and re-roll, it's a subset of one action that you've already started doing, which is roll, right? right? So it's a, it's a nuance within that action. If I were to make a ruling as a TO, I would declare that the adding of Bizarro falls under a unique subset of purchasing and thus can only be done in the main step. Mm -hmm. However, there are more liberal versions of how to look at this. One, it's a synergy effect. The synergy is a key word that we've barely used. I think it's amazing. We should use it more. But synergy is a key word that lets you do a thing whenever you could do a global. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... That means you could technically add the Bizarro during your attack step Mm -hmm. in case you wanted to sneak out a cheeky mutation. Or if your opponent has some nasty character in the field, you buy a Bizarro during the attack step, they get to add a character to their bag, and then you mutate whatever they have that's nasty out for whatever they just put in their bag or use file or whatever. So there's some cheekiness there. Uh, That's a slightly more liberal interpretation. And then the more liberal interpretation is any time that it is your turn, you can do it. Right. Including before the draw step. Yeah. 
So it seems like we got to get a ruling on this one, right? Yes, there's zero precedent. Is there a world, do you think, that when you say, if it, it like synergy, you can do it on your opponent's turn when you have priority, because it's just whenever you could use a global. Do you think that if you do understand Bizarro like synergy and that it is whenever you could use a global, you could do it during the priority that your opponent passes you? Yeah, absolutely. If this is a ability that you can use during a global window, yeah. If this is an ability that is effectively a purchase no right and literally we just need a definition right his ability is one it doesn't require him to be active two it doesn't declare itself as a purchase it doesn't declare what window it can be activated in so long as it's a turn um yeah <laughs> right you know it says once per turn you may add a bizarro die so Usually, you're not allowed to buy dice on your opponent's turn. So, but in the most liberal reading yeah. of this, you could choose to add that to your bag between when they've rolled and when they're re-rolling. You could be like, <laughs> that's like the most liberal interpretation of that. Exactly. It's you do it before they or after they draw, but before you're going to draw for your turn, going second, and it's like because Constantine implies that that window exists before the clear and draw step. The rulebook now has a line about beginning of turn stuff happening before the clear and draw. Right. So there, there's a beginning of turn step that's not clearly labeled anywhere. That, but the rulebook has clearly delineated it as a, this is where these things happen. Right. And that's the so, thing with Bizarro. If there's that place, you could drop him into your bag and theoretically draw him on the same turn, potentially. Mm-hmm. But that's a weird in terms of the way we know buying. And, and your recommendation, just for those of you who kind of want to follow Shadow Melt's guidance on this, would be to... I would choose, agree with your opponent, whether you do the most conservative ruling which is it's a purchase it can only happen during your main step or it's a global replacement it can only happen in a global window mm-hmm. doesn't matter whose turn okay great those are the two most conservative ways to handle bizarre okay cool well that gives people some guidance and maybe we'll stop some of the fisticuffs that go on <laughs> which you know it's supposed to be fun so it's good to have some sort of guardrails on this whole thing right and and that it's supposed to be fun is why I say there, there are two options. If it wasn't supposed to be fun, I'd say main step only, you guys. <laughs> right, right. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, I got one more question for you here. Just because I was coming a memory problem with the old Captain Marvel, which did the uh, two attack steps, and we've got that coming mm-hmm. back with super rare Wally West, uh, speed force conduit. While Wally West is active, well, you get a second attack step during your turn. Only Wally West character dice can attack during your second attack step was so the old captain marvel uh-huh. said that she had to survive the first attack step before you could start the second okay so but she theoretically could attack and as long as you pulled her back you could attack with her twice right correct so same same would go with wally here he can attack twice as long as he's around right assuming he doesn't a go unblocked b get ko'd right or c fight somebody with deadly oh actually deadly he would still get to attack twice because Deadly doesn't kill you until the end of until the, the end of turn. So he would be great with like you know something that gave infiltrate, for example, maybe you know because then he could attack, pull yeah, back, absolutely. and then attack again, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say what would be really strong with him is if he was a Justice League character. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. And there was a Green Lantern yeah. of some sort on the board. If only there was some way to give people Justice League. Well. 
There is, isn't there? There's the old good old infiltrate basic action. That's <laughs> yeah, right. that's it. Yeah, yeah. It gave it gave plus three defense and a, whatever affiliation you want, right? And then you, you wait, yeah. was it you who used to do the thing with the rare angel and the promo colossus? That was Homash. It was no, Homash. It was JT. But uh, I updated, and he used it on formerly Weapon Ten, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I updated it to Copper Dragon. Yeah, that was mean. Yeah. And you uh, <laughs> did a stat flip, global. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he had brought Breath Weapon because Swords got banned, right? Mm-hmm. So this was pre-Swords. The team was pre-Swords and then updated it to Copper Dragon to clear all the sidekicks because you could consistently do it on, like, turn three. So their only blockers would be sidekicks. What were we talking about right before Infiltrate? Double attack step shenanigans and making people Justice League characters. <laughs> right. Uh, I will point out that with Wally West, you must attack with Wally Wests, mm-hmm. but it does not need to be Wally Wests that deal the damage. Right. So you can mutation anybody in to yeah, replace him. Right. So Hello, hello Bizarro, right? <laughs> right. Now, you can't mutation in your characters who went unblocked in the first round. So you can't like attack with right. a Hulk and a Wally West and then the Hulk goes through and then you mutation in Hulk for Wally West again. That that Hulk is in the transition. Right. If you wanted to do the ultimate cheese though, you could because you don't want to pay three to field Hulk. You could just leave it in your reserve pool and then move to your attack step, attack with a sidekick, and then in your second attack step, because when you attack, all the dice on character phase in your reserve pool go to use pile, not transition, could then polymorph him in for your Wally West. And I don't know what you'd be gaining from that, as opposed to having just attacked with him the first time. Well, Wally West does seem unnecessary in this step, but we will let it go. But it's pretty cool. Yeah, because you get yeah. two global windows there. Yeah, all right. <laughs> All right, well, I have a couple real quick questions for you, Shadowball. Number one, we are thinking about, we've been, I literally have this box under my desk full of all kinds of cards and tokens and fun giveaways. We were right on the cusp of doing a one big weekend when the pandemic hit. And so I've been sitting there and now I've been holding off waiting to make sure that Europe had enough Product. product in their tank so that they could draft too and we could do it all together. So I'm starting to think, it's a fair amount of work, but would you guys, would you, if I'm interested in running another one big weekend, say in October, November, that period of time, maybe when the uh, new Dice Masters 2.0, so to speak, drops, yeah. would your scene might be interested in running something if I get that up and running? Trying to, trying if to gauge. If I get a scene up and running. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, so, so that's a little encouragement for you folks out there. This is potentially possible. So I have a tentative three other players who might be getting together for a Superman Kryptonite Crisis draft when I get back from vacation. Great. Those four of us, maybe. Okay. If I get four people and we're consistent enough, I would love to do another one big weekend. Okay, great. Absolutely. Do you foresee the reboot that comes with Secret Wars? Do you foresee that actually getting new players into it, maybe in your scene? or I think Dice Masters doesn't look like a Marvel card game at the moment. And there are multiple Marvel card games out there right now. Yep. And that the update makes it look like a Marvel card game. Well put. Which is a great way to get people back on the bandwagon mm-hmm. or new people, however you want to look at it. So that people who are like, you know, I don't love this living card game format that say Marvel, what is it? Champions. champions yeah. The champions has, I don't want to buy three copies of the vulture team pack or whatever. It's called. <laughs> I don't play that game, but I see it on the shelf and I'm like, it looks great. It looks awesome. I've played enough living card games. I don't need to buy three copies. Right. 
They may say, I want to play something in the store every mm-hmm. week, right? Dice Masters is the only Marvel card game that you play in the store because you're buying new stuff. Right. Everybody else comes to play in the store because that's the only place their friends will meet them. Right. Nobody wants to go to your house anymore. And that's the idea behind when we originally kicked out one big weekend, it was a way to kind of help encourage local scenes. And I figure like maybe with this whole reboot, rebrand, yeah, this may be a good synergy. Well, so, well, well, let me ask, what is your local store if people in Orlando or elsewhere would like to come and roll with you or even purchase some product there? Oh, uh, yeah. So that's House Rules Gaming sells singles if you're interested. HouseRulesGaming.com. Right Go for it. I'm uh, not going to joke. Chris deserves the business. He's the only store in Orlando that sells Dice Masters. That's awesome. Support him. And I've told you guys this before, but when I say he's the only store in Orlando that sells Dice Masters, that means he competes with cool stuff, mm-hmm. all eight storefronts, yeah. and competes with Coliseum Comics, all six storefronts. Right. Like Those are national names. And he's in a lawyer's office above the second story of uh, Old Town Kissimmee, right? Yeah. Mind you, when he first started, he had one office, and now he's to five offices big, so he's doing something right. Yeah, mine far. Well, you got to love people like that. That's the little engine that could. And so as the community of the little engine that could, I I make that plea to everybody out there. Support your friendly neighborhood game store, especially those who've stuck with Dice Masters through the years. They deserve a tip yeah. of the hat at this point for sure you know also don't be afraid in, in case you have a local game store that does carry the product but you are a strictly online player maybe because you joined the game during the pandemic or whatever your reason might be ask about creating some events one thing that we've done at our local game store which i think is a great idea is where the dice masters product is we put up a little advertisement saying when we do our weekly when we meet up and when we play so if anybody wants to join they have that information there <laughs> Now that you're on the show again, I got to give you the chance. Any uh, Hall of Fame nod? Do you want to? You can. You're free to nominate the same person, or we're still taking tallies and scores here. Man, I don't want to give the, a Hall of Fame nod to uh, everybody. So I just uh, I need you to remind me if the following people have uh, gotten Hall of Fame nods before. Okay, sure. I know Randy's gotten one because I shared it with him because he didn't know about it yep. until I told him. Yep. By the way, he's now dating my sister-in-law. Wow, small world, man. (laughs) Um, So yes, Randy's one. Has PK gotten one? PK is actually in the hall already, so he's already he's been already put. He's he's the number two person. What about Truby? I'd like to add more to the pool just to get more recognition out there. Sure. But Truby deserves so much it's that true. it's hard for me not to. Though Truby's technically still playing. So he, we've kind of always put his name with like a, a mark, but it's kind of like a phantom mark. When, you when know, we put he, him in there, he wasn't playing. But then he started playing again, and maybe he would have gotten in, but <laughs> guy keeps on playing. It's yeah, so good for him. Yes, he should. Good for him. He should keep on playing. The Hall of Fame is a, it's a, it's a very shameful place, truth be told, because it means you're not playing anymore. You don't want to be in there. You hear that, Andy? Fair enough. Oh, so what you're saying is the reason that I'm not in the Hall of Fame is because I keep playing. Exactly. Exactly. You, you, and also still... nobody's nominated me. Well, well, but because because everyone knows you're playing, you know? That, so like... that was what Andy has probably spent like a collective from, from the Ministry of Dice. He's probably spent like a collective full episode talking about how he thinks that he should just stop playing for the day. And then everybody vote for him on that day. And then he'll come back. And that, that's what, because he should be in the Hall of Fame. 
I, I kind of want to vote for Ben so that he'll stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> That's cheeky. <laughs> um, whew, all right. Let's see. Not playing. Previous podcast hosts, RJ, uh, Shumi, and Oddball Narwhal. Mm-hmm. Oddball Narwhal is definitely not playing. No, nope, he's not. True. It's he, not a name I've heard for a long yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, those are some pretty cool articles. All right, is Jimmy on the list? Jimmy is not on the that's, list. He, that's yeah, a, that's, that's a interesting. One, that's yeah, one. Jimmy's not on the Jimmy list. Jimmy O'Brien, you mean, yeah? Jimmy Darwin O'Brien ranked number 50 at the 2022 North American International Championship Pokemon TCG. Jimmy Darwin O'Brien. Well done, Jimmy. That's no that's no small feat given the number of Pokemon players out there. Yeah, know? there were thousands <laughs> of players there that day and he got fifty. Like Wow, good for him. Yeah. He's been working um, towards that I know for a very long time. So it's <laughs> or no, he I remember yeah, he said I, almost one when he was like thirteen or something, right? For his lifetime in Dice Masters as basically our one representative in WizKids, mm-hmm. he didn't deserve it, but he's finally earned it. Because Dice Masters is on a massive upswing, and every time he comes online and communicates with us, every time he announces something new, it is solid, direct communication yep. with a presentation of attention towards the player community, not like, this is what we're going to give you today, be happy with it and go away. Yeah. It is a, hey, I was thinking about you guys, and I thought you needed to know this, and Jimmy has basically turned this game around. Yep. No longer bleeding. It's growing now, and it is healthy now. I don't may not have a scene, but I still feel positive about this game. And I feel like 80, 90, 100% of that is Jimmy. It's a really good point. And it's completely different than like if some, for example, Heroclix correspondent was giving us all the Dice Masters news, because I do feel that Jimmy does care about the game as much as the rest of us do. And he knows how to play this game. He knows how to play it well, and he is very much a part of the community, I would say. If you've ever played against Jimmy, you know know that he knows his game. So that's, he knows his game and games. He yep. knows his his play. Yes, he does. He doesn't play, so I think he could qualify as Hall of Fame. Technically, yeah, but sure. he will play. Yeah, uh, there's one other person, but I think he's still playing, and that'd be uh, good old Charlie Cates. Yeah, Charlie. We saw Charlie a while ago, but I'm not sure if he's still playing or not. Yeah, he's the only person that was at Worlds that had been to more Worlds than I had. Wow. He'd been playing Dice Masters longer than me. Me, him, and Jimmy got together in a little corner, and we were just like, "Hey, everybody here is so young, so new to this game." And I was like, "God, Charlie, do you remember blah 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 blah?" And he was like, "Yeah, do you remember blah blah blah?" And Jimmy was like, "Oh, and blah 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 blah." And it was just the three of us, and I was like. I started in the first D&D set. Charlie started day one. Right. Jimmy obviously was there day one. It's like the elders of the universe, you know? <laughs> we, we still have Archivist over in our local scene, but he doesn't go to Columbus anymore. Yep. All right, so 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 Jimmy, you think Jimmy's the nod then? Jimmy's got it. Like, for what he has done recently, but also for his history in the game, yeah. but mostly recently, right? I feel like he's finally been given permission to help lead this game. All right. Well, Jimmy, you've been now you've been officially nominated to uh, the unofficial Dice Masters Hall of Fame. So, congratulations. Excellent. Well, thank you, Shadowbell, for coming out and joining us tonight and and taking some time out of your your holiday, which sounds excellent. So, uh, you know, that's like a special I, tip of the hat to you. I only that. regret that we couldn't make it to California. Yeah. Well, next time you've always got a space here, so you know we'd love to have you excellent. for sure. 
Anything else you'd like to add before we call it an evening and return you to your um, to your vacation? No, no. Uh, I'm going to probably go to bed and heal my voice. I've been talking for two hours <laughs> or something now. No, it's it's good. Good night. Thank you very, very much. Well, having Shadow Maldon as a guest and then nominating Jimmy, maybe we should title this episode The Elders of the Universe. Or if you're sticking with a theme, you could go with Rohamor on Teal. Or Limbo and back again? It's too bad podcasts don't have collector's rarities, then you could have one of each. What, no super rare? Uh, I'm talking old school rarity, a common rare super rare. All right. Well, before we wrap this up, I want to reiterate that we're thinking of running another one big weekend this fall for the local scenes out there. It involves quite a bit of prep work, so I want to get some feedback from the community first to make sure there's sufficient interest to make the effort worthwhile. If your scene might be interested in participating, please send me an email at arge at rollinthunder.xyz. That's rolling without a G. And let us know that you'd be interested so that we can gauge whether or not this is worth doing. Should we hit it and quit? Let's hit it and quit. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, Nuff Said! Well, that's the end of Turn 5, my friends, and it's time for the final clear. We hoped you enjoyed today's show. You can find us at rollinthunder.xyz, without a G or an apostrophe, where you'll discover all the links necessary to listen or subscribe to the show. You can also reach us by email at arge or lucan at rollinthunder.xyz. Our theme music was created by Jesse Weiner. We're in no way affiliated with WizKids, other than we love and celebrate the game of Dice Masters. So keep on rolling, August Narlagagia the Lao. We'll be talking again soon with another awesome guest. So stay tuned. Enough said.